Uh, we're in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. If you're watching by live stream, we're in Galatians 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 16. If anybody in here needs a copy of the lesson, if you slip your hand up, the men will see that and get it by. Well, it did a good job tonight, get everybody covered there. And uh, so, Christian liberty, uh, we've titled this section, Paul's Defense of the Spirit, in Galatians uh, chapter 5, and uh, beginning in verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under, under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So, the Apostle Paul, in dealing with the defense of the Spirit, um, the necessity for the Christian to live in the sanctification of the Spirit of God is seen by the Apostle Paul's statement in verse 15, where we ended last week, because he says, If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And so uh, it is absolutely uh, necessary uh, for us to be spiritual in how we live and how we act and react to one another uh, because of the fact that the flesh takes over, that's what we do. We start uh, uh, devouring one another. And, and as I mentioned last week, it literally means to be as a wild beast. Uh, ripping uh, something apart. And so that's kind of what Charles Erdman uh, said in his commentary in reference uh, to this verse. He says the Galatians, however, uh, had not been controlled by the law of love, uh, turning back to legal requirements and taking their eyes off Christ, and so losing the power of vital faith they had allowed malice and hatred and bitterness to rule in their hearts. Uh, the very controversy aroused by the false teachers had broken out into every possible form of feud and contention. Uh, their conduct towards their fellow Christians could be compared only to the actions of wild beasts. And when I was reading that quote, I thought about everything that's going on in the world that we live in. And we, you know, we have uh, turned our back on God. We have refused to walk in the Spirit. Uh, we, are we have refused to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so the only recourse that we have in living is to live according to the lust of the flesh. 
and uh, that flesh is out of control, and people are, are hate, hate one another, angry towards one another, and as wild beasts, uh, try to ravage one another. And so uh, we need to follow the Apostle Paul's teaching that we need to walk in the Spirit so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so uh, I like what Erdman has to say here in reference to this verse. Uh, Galatians, in your notes there, you can see is a great book of liberty. And uh, God has given us great liberty uh, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And there's just a few things the book highlights here in Galatians uh, in reference to the things that we have liberty, what we've been delivered from uh, to God. First of all, in letter A there, it's just we have been delivered uh, from the world to God. In Galatians chapter 1 in verse 4 says, "...who gave himself for our sins..." that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And so the wonderful thing is when we talk about liberty as a Christian, we acknowledge the fact that uh, Paul has revealed that we are delivered uh, from the world unto our God. And then in chapter 2, he reminds us that we're delivered from ourselves to Christ. Notice in chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul knew what it was to be delivered uh, and set free from the bondage of himself. Uh, we are crucified with Christ, and so our lives are no longer our own. We are one with Christ, and we've been set free from our own selfish desires and wills, and we can live in accordance with the will of God. And so uh, we uh, have liberty from the world to God. We have liberty from ourself uh, to Christ. And then chapter 3 and verse 13 he speaks of the liberty that we've been set free from the law to grace. Chapter 3 in verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree, on the tree. And so we have been delivered, set free from the bondage of the law. The law could not save us because we could not keep it. And so the law uh, showed our faults, our sinfulness, and the law condemned us. But hallelujah, Christ came, and as he came in this world, he came and fulfilled the law. He died on the cross and made it a way possible for us to be liberated from the law so that we might live in grace. Then I see in chapter 4 and verse 6 uh, that we're liberated from a servant to a son. A servant to his son in chapter 4 and verse 6. And he says, And because ye are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we were literally the servants of sin. We were servants of the law. Uh, however, by the fact of receiving Christ our Savior, we have been adopted into the family of God. And so now we no longer live as a servant which has no rights of heirship of what God has to give us. 
But we have become sons, as many as believed on him, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so now I don't live in bondage as a servant. I live rejoicing because the inheritance that I have is a joint heirship with Jesus Christ. And so he set us free from being a servant to being a son. Then chapter 5 and verse 25 uh, he set us free and gave us liberty from the flesh to the spirit. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 25 says, If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And so we have the liberty, the freedom, the ability uh, to not be controlled and brought into bondage by the flesh. Because we have life in the spirit, that means I can walk in the spirit. And so we've been set free from flesh to the spirit. And then chapter 6 and verse 8, we see that we've been set liberated from sowing to reaping. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And so from sowing to reaping. Uh, and it's all because of the fact that we have had faith in Christ and our faith in Christ uh, delivers us and gives us the ability to experience and enjoy all of the blessings that God has for us. So now as Paul goes into chapter 5 and verse 16 through the end of the chapter, he starts dealing with this whole concept of the significance and importance of the Spirit of God of the believer living and walking in the spirit of God. And so he gives a strong defense of the necessity for the Christian to be spiritual. And we're not to be fleshly. We're not to respond to things according to the world. I like uh, our Bible curriculum this year is dealing with an upper class in the senior high and dealing with a biblical worldview. And I'm afraid far too many Christians, are they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they don't look at the world through the prism of a biblical worldview. Uh, we have been so tainted by the world that, that we, need, we need an adjustment of our understanding. We need, a, we need an opening of our eyes to be able to see what's going on. So Paul is giving a defense on why the Christian needs to be spiritual. So first of all, notice in verse 16 through 18, I just simply called it the plan, the plan. This, uh, uh, this I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust thereof. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one towards another that you cannot, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. So the plan is just simply this. First of all, I put down terms defined. Uh, you need to know what is it that Paul's talking about it. What is it that the scriptures are presenting to us? And so the terms define. So he tells us if we walk in the spirit. So we have to define the word walk. And uh, you can see in your notes, we put some definitions in there for you. If you're watching live stream, you just have to jot these things down. I think I put most of them on the slide so they'll be coming up so you you'll have more than just to fill in uh, to deal with. But a walk means to pursue one's daily course. 
It means to accomplish one's usual task. And so when he says, walk in the Spirit, there is the assumption that that is the normal process of how you live your life. And so he tells us to, it ought to be a normal process going about our life doing our usual tasks is not, it should not be something where we got to stop and remind ourselves, oh, I, I need to walk in the Spirit. It's carrying with the idea that because you are spiritual beings, because you are born again, and because you have received this liberty in Christ, then it is a natural course in how you live your life is you walk in the Spirit. And uh, it, it shouldn't be something that you have to force yourself to do. It ought to be something that is natural. And so he says, walk in the Spirit. And then he says in verse 16, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the second thing here is the lust of the flesh. The, lust, the word lust there means uh, controlling desires, uh, whether moral or immoral. And so when you say lust, it means it is something that is controlling your conduct, uh, whether it be good or bad. And we can lust to do righteousness, or we can lust to do that which is immoral, that's unrighteous. And so he says, if we'll walk in the Spirit, then it will settle the reality of what is controlling your desires. What is it that's getting your attention? And so the plan is just simply this. By walking in the Spirit, then my, I do not have to worry about being controlled by lustful desires that are out of control, that are immoral, because he'll go ahead and describe what the lust of the flesh is. And then it also means, lust means passion, anger, heat, that draws away from spiritual walk with God. And so the problem was they were allowing themselves to be consumed of the lust of the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. And so they have this driving force. They have this passion in their soul. Uh, they have these deep desires in their body that is literally driving them and guiding them uh, to do that which is not acceptable uh, before the Lord. You know, if somebody is an alcoholic or somebody is a drug addict, it's the alcohol or the drugs that take control, the lust of the body to have to have that, that drink or to have to have that drug. And uh, so that's what he's talking about here is that, wait a minute, if you'll walk in the spirit, then you don't have to worry about in the body, in the flesh that we live in, so dominating, controlling you that would lead you away from God, but rather you would decide to walk closer to God. And so he tells us, he deals with walk, he deals with the lust. And then in verse seven, 17, he says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one towards another, so that you cannot do the things that you would, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So he deals with walking, having the direction you're going in, as far as in reference to the Spirit of God. He deals with the lust that is consumed in your flesh, 
that dominates and controls you. And then he says in verse 18, if you be led. So the word led means to take with one, to guide or to direct. And so he's literally saying, if you be led of the Spirit, if it's the Spirit that's taking you along, it, it carries with it the idea of, of say, a, a sail ship, a, a boat that, has, that is run by sails. Uh, the, the boat itself and the sails have no ability to put that boat in motion. It's the wind that comes in to the sails that pushes that boat along. Well, the Spirit of God in us is that wind that pushes us or leads us along. Uh, we are allowing the Spirit of God to direct us. And if the Spirit of God will direct us, the Spirit of God will not direct us to fulfill lust that is immoral. And so he's laying out this case before he goes into the works of the flesh in reference to what the plan is for living a spiritual life as a Christian uh, because of what we received in Christ. So we see the plan that's laid out. We see not only the action, we also see the action that is described here. There's terms that are described and then there's an action that is described. Uh, a couple of things. In the Spirit, if we are in the Spirit, he tells us, we will not complete or finish the work of the flesh, which we identified the lust of the flesh is evil impulses or wrong affections. And so if we are in the Spirit, then there's absolutely no way that you can fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because of the fact that in the spirit, you cannot complete or finish the work of the flesh. You can't have it both ways. And that's what the problem is. Many Christians struggle with this because they want it both ways. They want to be a spiritual person and they want to be close to God. But the problem is they're driven by the lust of the flesh. And so all their efforts to try to be close to God is taken away from them because they're chasing after the lust of the flesh. And, but if I walk in the Spirit, I don't have to worry about that. Because if I walk in the Spirit, the works of the flesh cannot complete itself in me because it's the power of the Spirit of God. Not only is this these, uh, describing the action of the Spirit, but also uh, the conflict gives evidence of being born in the Spirit. Uh, oftentimes people, have, you know, you get saved and all of a sudden you, you have these convictions. All of a sudden you have these desires, you have these longings, you have these change, you have this uh, uh, feeling guilty about things. I've had people over the years say, you just put people on guilt trips. Well, if you come to church and you hear a sermon and you feel guilty, it's not me putting you on a guilt trip. It's the Spirit of God speaking to your heart that there's something that has to change. Why? Because the Spirit that is in us creates the conflict, which is good because of the fact that the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to the one and towards another. And so you need to identify what's bringing the conflict. Is it the Spirit or is it the flesh? If it's the flesh, you need to confess that sin 
and submit yourself to the Spirit. So that the Spirit, if you're in the Spirit, it will take control. And now the flesh can't complete its longings and desires in you. And so the conflict is good. That's evidence that you're a saved, born-again Christian. I would be very concerned if I said I was a Christian, but I did not feel guilty about things that I did that violate the moral code of God. That would, that would put a great concern on my heart, whether I'm saved or not. Remember when I was in Bible college, Dr. Tom Malone Jr. preached a message on Judas Iscariot, a man who walked with God for three years and died and went to hell. It scared me to death. And I'll tell you, I went to him real quick that day after chapel in Bible college and said, Dr. Malone, I don't know if I'm saved if I'm going to heaven. And I said, and I certainly don't want to be lost. And, and the problem was I had never been baptized after I got born again. I was christened when I was a baby in the Methodist church. I was baptized by immersion in the Baptist church, but no one ever told me how to be saved. And so in Bible college, I got baptized because of the conflict. There was a conflict in my soul. In, my, in, in the flesh, I was saying, I don't need to be baptized. In my flesh, I was rejecting what God was leading me to do. When, when I got saved, when they talked to me about joining the church and they said, you need to be baptized, whoever was working with me did not do a very good job because he didn't follow up with the right questions. And I said, oh, I've already been baptized. I'm okay. And when I said that, the Spirit of God smote my heart. But the flesh took over. And the flesh rejected the opportunity to get right with God. And I'll tell you, I struggled with that for two years. For two years. But once I submitted to the leading of the Spirit of God to correct the conflict that was in my heart, the burden was lifted, and I never doubted my salvation again. And so the struggle, there is a real struggle in Christians. And it's, a, it's the conflict between the flesh and between the spirit. So we see in the spirit, he describes what it's like. He deals with the conflict that we experience. And then uh, number three on that action described is just simply this. The battle is won by the expulsion of the flesh by the higher affection of the spirit. I want you to see it's not because that you work harder at it. It's because there's a greater love for it. And that's what Paul de has dealt with in last week's lesson about the love of God and, and how that has been shed abroad in our hearts. And if I want to get win the battle against the lust of the flesh, then I need to elevate my love of Christ because greater love hath no man than a man shall lay down his life for his friends. And he's the one that died for me. And if he died for me and loves me that much, then I ought to love him that much. And if I love him that much, then I'm going to be relating to him and walking with him and loving him and pursuing him and drawing near to him because of the love of the Spirit of God that's in me. And what happens now, the spirit takes over and the flesh has been expelled. You got to get the flesh out. Now, oftentimes as believers, there's just some things you need to get out of your life. You need to expel it because it's hurting your ability 
to enjoy the fellowship with God through the Spirit of God. So there is a plan. We've got to have the plan. Then, then verse 19 through 20, I see the product. In other words, what you're living by or for does create a product. He goes on in verse uh, 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. It's interesting that he says the works. It's plural. In other words, there's a multitude of things we're going to see here as we go through here that are the outcome or the product of living according to the flesh. And, and it's not just one thing that comes out. It's a multitude of things that come out. And so the product, first of all, he deals with verse 19, sensual sins. In verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness, sensual sins. And you see right in your notes there, you know what these things mean, but I'll just highlight them here. Uh, adultery, that's sexuality, unfaithful to your spouse. It's adultery. Uh, we live in, in, a, in a world where adultery has absolutely become acceptable in our society. Uh, not only that, but he goes on to say fornication, uh, adultery is sexual unfaithfulness to your spouse in marriage. Fornication is any sexual relationship outside of marriage, whether it be uh, heterosexual, homosexual, and any type of perversion. Uh, I just heard a thing today, and I'm going to do a little research on it in reference to um, um, human sexuality that's being presented in curriculum uh, today, uh, not today as far as this day, but in the time that we're living in, into the schools uh, for you know third, fourth graders, second graders, um, and literally the, the note that I saw on it basically said that you cannot, it's so vulgar, it's so vulgar that if you produce it or you show it on television or something like that to talk about it, you can be arrested for child pornography. That's how, that's how grossly immoral it is. And, and, and I struggle with this because I'm, my question is why, why is it nobody stands up for their children and say we're not going to have that? You're not going to teach. You understand the school system. Uh, is not the authority over your child. The parents are the th authority over their children. We have a Christian school. Pastor Dwan and I deal with this all the time. We've had to meet with parents, and we tell them flat out, I'm not the authority over your child. Your child in our classroom has to abide by our rules, but if you don't like that, you don't like what's being taught, you're the parent, we submit to your authority. And so... I don't understand why it is that we have come to 2020 in America to where every kind of sexual sin that is gross and perverted is accepted and nobody will say anything about it. Uncleanness, it just means wild, reckless immorality. 
Uh, you see all this stuff that goes on with spring, college spring breaks and kids on the beaches and all this you know, different things, and nobody really says anything about it. And, well, kids will be kids. Uh, do they have to be animals? Then he says lasciviousness. Lasciviousness just simply means unbridled lust, a playboy mentality. Um, Central sins. He says, this is the product. This is what, when you live according to the flesh, this is what you get. You can, listen, you cannot expect anything different out of our society that we live in if man rejects Christ and refuses to walk in the spirit, then it is automatically, the expectation is this is what the lifestyle is going to be. Sensual sins. Verse 20 deals with spiritual sins. Says He goes on, he says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, uh, wrath, seditions, uh, strife, seditions, heresies. And so he deals with spiritual sins. I think we have forgotten in 2020 that there are spiritual sins. In other words, sins that are uh, sinful based on what we would identify as being spirituality. It's nothing more than sinful. Idolatry is worshiping of false gods. The word witchcraft there, witchcraft there comes from the Greek word pharmakia, which is use of drugs or intoxicated worship. I'm going to tell you much of quote-unquote worship in the name of Christianity is nothing more than heathenistic uh, seduction and uh, corruption in manipulating masses of people uh, through drugs and through music and through um, mind control and things like that. It's witchcraft is what it is. Church worship has become more witchcraft than it is worship of God. So that's, what you, that's the product of the flesh. Hatred. Hatred is being an enmity from God because of sin. Heresies, of course, are sex and parties with doctrinal error. Uh, they, the Galatians had to deal with all these doctrinal errors and this, this hatred that was building up in the church because of the fact that they were living according to the lust of the flesh. And realize that, that, that you, the product is always a negative product when we are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Not only was there sensual sins, spiritual sins, but in verse 21 and 20, there is uh, social sins. Notice in verse 21, uh, well, verse 20 in the middle, it says, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seductions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And so he deals with variance, means contentions and quarrels. You say, what in the world is going on? Everybody's arguing and fighting with everybody. The works of the flesh. That's all it is. It's the lust of the flesh. Emulations means to aggressive rivalry. Where, where is a spirit of decency among our politicians? Where is the spirit of decency among common people? 
this, this matter of aggressively looking at one another in rivalry, trying to exalt ourselves and put ourselves over each other. Strife means setting oneself forward, self-seeking pursuits, cliques, uh, just whenever self gets in the way, there's always conflict. And then he says seditions. And seditions means to uh, have dissension and division. And uh, I'll tell you, everything we're watching in America is here being warned that this is going to be the outcome. Notice he goes on, he says in verse 21, envyings. Envyings mean discontentment and resentment at the possessions or qualities of another. Murders, we know what that is, to take another man's life and another person's life. I just heard on the news the other day, a guy in a car pulled up and a woman and her eight-year-old daughter was in the car and just started shooting at the car. It killed both of them. Uh, I, I saw a clip the other, just a, probably about a couple hours ago, I was looking at some news clips, and I went through and this guy was just riding his bicycle, I think it was in Brooklyn, just riding his bicycle down the road, and this old woman, this, she's probably my age, so she's old, amen, and she's just walking down the sidewalk, and the guy rode over with his bicycle and just punched her in the head. I'm telling you, things are out of control. And somebody, somebody ought to stand up for law and order and get things back under control. Because I'm going to tell you, it's going to get ugly. And it's going to get real bad if you continue to go down this course. And Paul outlines what the problems are and what the outcome is going to be if you're going to live according to the lust of the flesh. Murders, drunkenness which is Greek word that means intoxication. So don't say, well, it's drunkenness. Well, I drink, but I don't get drunk. You take one drink, one mouthful, and you're intoxicated. It's the devil's drink, so give it up. Leave it alone. Walk away from it. Too many Christians are standing up and saying it's okay to drink alcohol. I've had people, listen, I've had people leave this church. Because it was more important for them to drink wine. Shame on them. Shame on them. That's the works of the flesh. People look at me like I'm some kind of ogre and I'm some kind of wicked person. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'll stand on the Bible side any day. Revelings. Revelings means to be boisterous, partying, just being out of control. That's uh, social sense. Not only that, but he goes on and deals with verse 21, eternal consequences. See, people don't think there's an eternal consequence. Oh, I'll just live and I'll just do what I mean. We need to live and let live. That's kind of the attitude. But Paul says, I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the danger. The danger is this, habitual conduct with no deliverance. They which do these things. 
habitual conduct with no, there is no deliverance to someone that is driven by the lust of the flesh. Where is the deliverance? It's through faith in Christ and walking in the Spirit. So habitual conduct with no deliverance, and then he says, shall not inherit the kingdom with practical evidence that there is no eternal life. I've been accused as a Baptist over the years. People say, ah, you Baptist. I remember this one lady when I was in Michigan, and she used to say that all the time. Yeah, you Baptist. Yeah, you believe in once saved, always saved. And, uh, you know, you, you don't believe you can lose your salvation. Well, what about somebody's doing this and doing that? And she starts identifying the works of the flesh. I told her, I said, Paul says that they to do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because habitual conduct, there is no deliverance. You can say you're saved all you want, but if you're habitually caught up in the lust of the flesh, that's evidences that there is no eternal life for you. So we see the product. Then we see the power in verse 22 through 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So the power is this. It's interesting that when he talks about the flesh, he says the works, which is plural. But when he talks about the fruit, it's, it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit. And these are gathered together and identified as one fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. Notice that the fruit of the Spirit of God puts us, it's, it's first of all directed towards God. Love, he says, uh, love is, means charity or benevolence or sacrificial type of love. Joy is happiness and gladness. Peace is tranquility of soul. You experience all those things, love, joy, and peace, based on your relationship towards God. You can't have the, that relationship or you can't have that experience if you're not right towards God. But the fruit of the Spirit is I can enjoy love and joy and peace because of the fact my life is directed towards Christ. Then this matter of the fruit of the Spirit works in us towards man. Because the next three knows he says long-suffering gentleness and goodness. Long-suffering is patience and endurance and consistency in our life. And, you know, sometimes we, when we talk about our relationship towards one another, yeah, it takes endurance sometimes. Gentleness means moral goodness and integrity. Goodness means uprightness in heart and kindness. And so this fruit of the Spirit that's working in us enables us to have a good relationship towards God, but also a great relationship towards man. And then there's a relationship towards self. Because he says, faith, meekness, and temperance. Faith means conviction of truth. And so this, as I walk in the Spirit, I have conviction of truth. And faith works in us to bring us that salvation, that relationship towards our Men, other men and, and brethren and also towards God. But faith and meekness means to be gentle and mild. You know, Moses was a great 
uh, later, but Moses identified as the meekest man in the whole world. And so we can have a spirit of meekness because of the spirit of God working us. Temperance is the exercise to exercise self-control. People say, well, you just don't understand. People can't control themselves. Yes, they can control themselves. If we walk in the spirit, then we're going to experience the fruit of the spirit, which means that we will not have to succumb to the lust of the flesh because of the fact the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one towards another. But if we walk in the spirit, we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there's power there. And then he brings it to a conclusion in verse 24 through 26. Notice past experience in verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That's a past experience. When you got saved, you got born again, you trusted Christ, your flesh was crucified with Christ. And so a past experience. Verse 25 is a present reality. Notice in verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we have received Christ as our Savior. We have been crucified with Christ. That means He has given us His Spirit. And if He has given us a Spirit, the present reality, then let's just walk in the Spirit of God. Then in verse 26 is the future expectation. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. In other words, if I have a past experience where I have been born again and I have crucified the flesh, then the present reality is that I am in the Spirit so I can walk in the Spirit. And if I'm walking in the Spirit, my future expectation is I'm not going to have a bad attitude towards other people. I'm going to have the right spirit about me. And I'm going to care for others. I mean, this is a tremendous chapter. And so take your lesson and go through it. Look up some of the verses that's on there. Uh, study it a little bit more. And I, I really, the, the bottom line of problems among Christians is simply that. Are you walking in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh? And if we walk in the spirit of God, then we're going to have victory over the lust of the flesh.